the Biden presidency mean for the Empire State and the Big Apple? I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org, and it is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to you my broadcast partner, the executive editor of Gotham Gazette, Ben Max. Well, that is quite a nice introduction, Jared. How are you today? Good. Well, I watched like seven hours of inauguration coverage today, so <laughs> everyone was introducing themselves like that, and I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. I wanted to get in on the action. So yeah, well, if you'd like to swear me in, uh, I'm happy to take <laughs> the the oath of the program. Uh, yeah, quite a day. I mean, um, just a remarkable scene. Just two weeks after that um, mob stormed the Capitol to see. Uh, everything goes so smoothly with the transition and the transfer of power today to a new administration. Uh, just a sort of, you know, uh, amazing shift from the chaos that we've seen recently to a, a smooth sort of normal um, government exercise and, and a major one at that. That being said, you know, that's sort of the new normal. It, it was not quote unquote normal to see everybody up on the dais in masks and the social distancing in the crowd and a very small crowd at that limited because of the pandemic that's been raging for a year. So, um, you know, both a mix of a, of a somewhat return to a normal type of government event, uh, but of course, amid the, all the devastation and changes of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I was struck by the same thing, you know, as the crowd would be coming to the, the camera focus as the, the camera pulled back, you know, seeing a relatively sparse number of people uh, separated on lawn chairs, um, you know, and obviously the mall for the most part filled with flags, not people, um, was striking. I was reminded, of course, four years ago when uh, the former president was inaugurated uh, some dispute about crowd size and whether pictures were exaggerating or, or undercounting that size. Today, there was no question about the size of the crowd um, or the, you know, very, I'm sure inaugurations are typically well policed, but obviously a very visible and uh, very large security presence. Um, so, yes, obviously a, a strange day and a strange time for a president to be taking over. But um, but that being said, Biden is now the president for uh, just about five hours. And that's going to be kind of the focus of our show today, talking about what this means for New York City and New York State, um, particularly in the short term um, with the, the crises, the twin very much intertwined crises that confront the city and the state now of this pandemic and of the economic disaster that it has wrought. Indeed. And uh, we are now well into the, you know, the new year here. And when we turn the calendar, it's uh, sometimes a new class of elected officials like we see at the state level after state elections that just happened for the state legislature. Um, it's it's budget season, which kicks off really in New York and Albany. And then the city follows suit, um, you know, new agendas. It's the last year of the de Blasio administration, the last year of this class of city government. We have a major city election cycle going on, as, of course, our regular listeners know, because we've been talking to so many of the candidates, especially those seeking to become mayor or city controller. And uh, so, you know, there, there are huge budget holes at both the state and city levels uh, and a lot of puzzle pieces to figure out here. But with a new presidential administration in place, a new Congress that will be led by Democrats in both the House 
and the Senate, including with uh, a new Senate majority leader of New York senior Senator Chuck Schumer, which is an immense thing for the state of New York. Um, you know, it's a whole new year. It's a whole new ball game with major challenges that carry over from last year. And so today on the show, we're going to talk about the state. We're going to talk about the city. Uh, we're going to be joined in just a couple of minutes by State Senator Liz Kruger, who represents part of Manhattan, but is also the chair of the State Senate's Finance Committee. And so she'll join us with her reaction to what a Biden administration and Democratic Congress could mean for New York's finances. Governor Andrew Cuomo released his executive budget for next fiscal year uh, just yesterday, and she'll react to that and, and how the two relate to each other. And we'll talk to State Senator Liz Kruger about those topics and more. And then later in the show, we will be joined by the press secretary for Mayor Bill de Blasio. That's Bill Needhart. He's been the press secretary for just about six months, six pretty wild months for the city. I'm talking about how all of those issues translate down to the city level. Uh, Obviously, the federal budget impacting the state, both of them impacting the city. And again, the disease itself and the vaccination program heavily dependent on federally generated supplies, federally controlled supplies, um, that becoming a major issue or already is a major issue for the city. We'll be discussing that with uh, the mayor's chief spokesperson, Bill Needhart, coming up. So in our in our uh, minute or two here before we welcome State Senator Liz Kruger back to the show, and she's about to really, um, you know, be front and center in the negotiations in the state around the state budget because she will help lead a long series of uh, hearings on the governor's executive budget and what the state budget picture looks like. Uh, any other reactions, uh, Jared, in, in our last minute here before we welcome the senator to what we saw today out of Washington, D.C., and, and what you thought while watching this inauguration? Uh, you know, I, it's funny, like every every time I've watched one of these, um, you know, you're struck by the the pageantry and, and some of it is obviously kind of a little bit full of hot air. But I, I must say it worked. I feel a little more optimistic um, about a few different things. I think that uh, there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. I think that uh, the well, it's still referred to him as Vice President Biden, President Biden referring to the fact that things might get worse before they get better, um, I think was a pretty stark warning, especially given the the very somber ceremony last night on the mall, remembering the 400,000 people uh, killed by this disease. Um, so I think that, you know, the president's speech was um, very Joe Biden. It was straightforward. It was not uh, lofty uh, uh, verbiage, but um, earnest and calm and uh, a little hopeful um, wrapped in, you know, a commitment to truth and a commitment to mission, including the mention for the first time ever in a speech from that stage of uh, white supremacy. So I was impressed by that. I thought it was a very good speech. You know, it was very solid. Uh, It wasn't grandiose. I think it met the moment. And I think, you know, it's important to note that, um, you know, there was a lot of celebration on that stage today and around the country. For some, there was a lot of consternation, uh, you know, certainly among others, of course, we just had a very contentious election and, and the fallout from that. But also, it's just as you got at important to note that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, the new Congress, you know, every 
everyone is taking over the federal government here in early 2021 at a moment of deep, deep crisis, uh, 400,000 plus Americans dead uh, after contracting the coronavirus. I think that number is probably a lot higher. And, you know, those numbers won't be confirmed for quite a while in terms of, you know, suspected cases and such. And really what they have to do is is an immense project of getting this virus under control, getting the vaccination program out, uh, dealing with the economic and financial ruin. Uh, the recently passed package will help. And they're talking about another big package. They have to get that to the finish line and so much more. So a lot to be seen out of the new administration, but certainly it was a turning of the corner uh, in in Washington, D.C. today. All right. Well, let's welcome our first guest to the show today, a return guest. That's State Senator Liz Kruger. She represents parts of Manhattan, a Democrat who chairs the State Senate's Finance Committee, and we have a lot to discuss with her. State Senator Kruger, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here again with you both. Thank you for joining us and taking the time. Um, so your initial thoughts and reactions to the transfer of power we saw here with uh, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris coming into office today. So I was glued to my screen, which was, you know, on my computer. And I have to say, I felt so much optimism the minute that other guy got on the plane and left town. The sky suddenly opened up and turned blue, literally around the country. The skies turned blue, and I couldn't just stop smiling, even before any of the actual inaugural process started. And then, you know, you pretty much all covered it well. You know, it was an inauguration where I think everybody was sort of taking deep breaths, you know, really hoping that there was no out-of-control violence that suddenly burst out, looking a little bit to your right and your left at all times, even on the computer screen, um, seeing all these legitimate people from the history of our government coming forward to participate in the appropriate exchange of power. Um I was a little bit mixed about the applause for Pence, but whatever. It only took him four years to realize what a disaster he had helped create and signed up with. Um, you know, and yes, it's not like when we wake up tomorrow, it's all fixed. It's not. But we probably wake up tomorrow thinking, okay, he's not there anymore. We don't have to be so terrified of the next thing that pops out from his Twitter account or his signing of something or his doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I can probably sleep tonight thinking I don't have to worry as much about who has the numbers on the football for nuclear bombs. Mm Now, we do have a, 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 an immense task in front of Joe Biden. It would be an immense task in front of any any president, any either president. continuing That's in right. power or taking over at this point. Uh, from your perch here in New York, especially as, as one of the leaders of the state Senate and therefore state government in New York, what do you see as your top you know, two or three priorities for New York from the new Biden administration? We all need to work to figure out how we are going to get far more vaccine 
made available to the people of our state at a much more rapid clip. I mean, today we are seeing most of the locations that even have had vaccines um, telling people that they're closing down and canceling appointments until the same time next week because they literally just don't have any vaccine left. We've seen the numbers of vials available in New York City go down over the last couple of weeks as opposed to the hope for expansion. I'm not going to pretend that I understand what happened. Has there been delays in production? Has there been delays in transportation? Did our vaccine show up somewhere else? Not that I wish anyone not to be able to get a vaccine as fast as possible, but we're not getting out of this crisis unless we can get 300 million Americans vaccinated as fast as possible. And I just see my assignment as the 20 million here in New York. And I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm not even sure who to blame. I just know that now that Joe Biden is our president, he's taken on that responsibility to help make sure we're getting that vaccine and additional vaccines that if and when they can come on the market. Um, and I think we will all have more trust in what we are hearing out of his administration versus the one up until today. So I say that's a top priority. Obviously, mm-hmm. the economy isn't going to be able to even attempt a normal or a new normal until we can get herd immunity with enough people vaccinated that people actually can feel like they can leave their homes, they can go to work, they can eat in a restaurant without risking their life. Um, Their children can go to school. The teachers don't have to panic. The parents of the children don't have to panic. There's just endless things that are our normals that can't get back to normal until we address the pandemic crisis. So those two things are really interrelated. As a state legislator and a state legislator who's the chair of the finance committee, for me right now, it's about can we get money from Washington at the levels we needed at? We've been begging them for well over a year and not getting the amount and for the purposes we need the money, even though the federal government is the only government that can print new money in the basement and send it to us. So I am truly, truly focused on and more optimistic certainly today that with a U.S. Senate where a high vote can be split by the vice president and a Joe Biden presidency, that we can hopefully depend on Washington to be sending us literally billions of dollars of additional money that will help us close the gap we have in this year's budget, protect against having to make continual and ugly and painful cuts in next year's budget um, or confront how much do we tax and whom and are they really here to pay it anyway? Um, So Mm -hmm. we can't print our own money. 
only the federal government can. So we and have gov- to, you know, go hat in hand begging the federal government for money. And Governor Andrew Cuomo, of course, just released his executive budget. He, um, you know, sort of gave an interesting presentation in terms of he's expecting money from the federal government to help fill the state's budget gaps, but doesn't know how much. Uh, There's a Biden plan that's out there that has hundreds of billions of dollars for state and local aid around the country, but it's unclear how much would go to New York. The governor is thinking about different scenarios and he's, you know, got some contingency plans. He designed an executive budget with a, a number sort of in the middle of what New York might get, but he's hoping for the full $15 billion that he says the federal government should send to New York state um, for its, its budget gaps uh, for this to, to finish out this fiscal year, which runs through March and then into next fiscal year. What's your assessment of what the governor laid out yesterday in his budget uh, plan, which will be the subject of, of a series of hearings that you'll be co-chairing soon? Um, what's your assessment of that plan that he laid out? Okay, so I'm going to hold off on, like, details within the budget that I might have real problems with once I have a chance to sit down and stare at them for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll stick with really what I think you're asking about, which is what he focused on in his presentation. And he focused on why we needed $15 billion at this time of a commitment from the federal government, which was really an ask over a two-year period, by the way, um, and why it's justified. And even though I'm not known for agreeing with the governor hand-in-hand that often, I completely agree with the governor. New York State is a donor state. We send far more money to the federal government that then goes to other states than the rest of the country. We're the top donor state. Of, I think, what did he say in his speech? Over $40 billion more going to D.C. than we got back over the last four or five years. And look, when we have it to give, I get it. But we don't right now. And so we're cutting our own programs. We're cutting our own services for poor children and emergency food programs and education programs because we're sending more money to Washington than they're prepared to help us out with. And I think that's just crazy. And well, that's a little bit of what I wanted to ask you ask yeah. you next is do you agree with sort of the way the governor is approaching the current state budget withholding certain aid and certain spending? You know, it's really been this sort of try to just do everything to hold on for a big federal bailout. Um, do you agree with that approach and continuing that approach now? Uh, you know, is there anything you, you think needs to be done more immediately? You know, where do you, if at all, sort of differ in how things are being approached right now? Oh, so we have the year that we're three quarters of the way through that we can agree or disagree should have been done this way, but looking forward, yes, I think this is exactly the right time to be trying to get as large a commitment of new federal funds as possible, and that should be our first priority. If we're not going to get them, and it's not like a year ago or even two days ago when you never could get an answer or a clue from the Senate or the then president, I expect that this government will be honest with us 
and not drag things out and will tell us what is realistic for us to expect. If, when we know that, and again, I believe that should be before April 1st, which is the deadline for our new budget, we should fight for as much as we can get and we should try to ensure that we are not taking the cut that we did um, because we get that money. If we fail in that at some level, then clearly we have to go to plan B, which I believe is increasing any number of taxes that are possible for the state of New York to increase. Some of those mm-hmm. could be short-term. Some of those could be permanent. Um, people won't be happy. What we have to make sure we try to do is fair and equitable taxation that causes the least harm to our economy. I'm very simple about this stuff. I'll just go you know, to different industries and say, you, are, you happen to be doing well. Your neighbors over there in, in food service and restaurants are dying, but you're doing very well. We need your help. We're going to tax you. I don't care how we tax you. You tell me what's the least painful to your business model. We need some money. Mm-hmm. You're going to give us money through taxes. But it doesn't mean you're tied to any specific proposal because there might be better or worse, more constitutional, less constitutional more likely to end you up in a courtroom for five years versus actually get you the revenue now. Um, So I am not at all opposed, and my conference is not opposed, to considering any and all revenue proposals that will help ensure that we aren't cutting and balancing our budget on the back of the poorest New Yorkers. But our first choice is still... Come on, federal government, come up with the money we need. You owe it to us. You can print it in the basement. It isn't actually that much in the scale of what you need to do and are prepared to do. Um, And just get us over this hump for the next couple of years. Because when New York does well, guess what? Like When New York City does well, the whole state does better. When New York state does better, the whole region does better. So investing in us to get out of this crisis is really investing in the future betterment of the entire region, and that's what federal governments are supposed to be there to do. When you look at some of the the spending priorities that the governor outlined, um, are there things, just generally speaking, in terms of, you know, some of the ways that he's talking about um, education funding, uh, economic development, infrastructure, you know, some of the biggest pieces, you know, do, do, do you have a, a sense coming into the budget hearings that you're going to soon lead that there's, you know, uh, a shifting or even a slight shifting of priorities that, that the legislature, especially the state Senate that you're a part of, is going to be seeking? Or do you think sort of structurally, big picture, the governor kind of has it right, but it's really about... Uh, you know, the real differences will only happen, really, if the federal government doesn't come through. Hmm. Well, I I think both of those are real. I think the Hmm. devil's in the details whenever you're looking at budget proposals. So, you know, I'll use one of the issues I know very well, um, adult use marijuana legalization. I carry a bill. It's the bill that the assembly also carries. 
we've worked through so many of the details over so many years. We know what we think we should be doing in New York. The governor believes also that we can move forward with adult use recreational marijuana. He came out with very little detail in his budget announcement. He's now sent down actual budget books that showed up at midnight. So I confess I didn't read them yet. Um, Guilty or not guilty. I'm trying to do as much as I can every day. Um, But he talked about a certain amount of revenue in his speech. And I knew it wasn't right. But then when you go to the books, you say, no, it's 20 million the first year, not 350 million. Um, So again, the devil's in the details. It doesn't mean that the legislature doesn't want to get there. And apparently the governor wants to get there. He's got some gambling proposals that I'm just a little confused about how they work um, that may or may not bring in significant revenue in the short term versus the long term. He went through his state of the state. He did four of them, which was also Mm -hmm. a little confusing, but where he laid out major infrastructure proposals. Now, some of them he's been talking about since he very first got into office. And by the way, he was right. Not only do we need new green energy production, which we're actually doing quite well at moving towards, um, and I'm so excited about our progress with offshore wind and improvements in models for solar, but we need a grid, an electric grid that is statewide, that is 21st century, to move the energy from where it's being produced to where it's needed most. So he talked about that. Now, depending on who you are and where you live in New York State, you might agree or disagree about what kinds of grid expansion we should have and who should be doing it, but there's no question that we need to do it. So fine, we'll find out the details. That's what you're supposed to do in a budget process. Um, Last time... Last, unfortunately, last question in our in our last uh, minute here together. One of the biggest things um, you know that happens every year in Albany, as you're very well aware, and you've criticized yourself, is that very often the budget gets passed in the middle of the night at the last minute. Legislators are voting on it who haven't even read it. The public hasn't had a chance to know what's in it, uh, you know, through the press mostly or through the legislators. Is there anything you're trying to do differently this year about that from your powerful position? Is there anything um, that you want to try to commit to doing as we start this budget process to make it a more transparent uh, process when it really comes down to the end? It's so many things to be done. Um, I would say one of the most important things the legislature can, and in my opinion, needs to do is an amendment to the state constitution that requires more transparency and more even-handedness in decision-making in the budget. Right now, our constitution leans so heavily to putting all of the power into the governor's hands that my led my legislative colleagues and the public are often frustrated to learn how little say they can have and how much information they can get. We won't do the constitutional amendment within the budget. In fact, that's one thing you can't do. You have to do it freestanding. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that both houses will pass first passage this year. Um, Alexander Briaggi is the lead sponsor. I'm a co-sponsor of that 
constitutional amendment, but I really don't think we're fixing the secretiveness and confusion around who gets a say in the budget until we address the constitutional powers that Mm -hmm. courts have tested and have given the governor far, far, far more than the 50% share of the decision-making. In the context of what we're doing this year, you know, I don't know that we would have ever done our budget hearings online if not for COVID, but I actually find that Zoom hearings get far more participation. Lots more people can listen in. Lots more people can actually, quote unquote, come and testify because they don't have to perhaps drive five hours in five hours into Albany. The information is all there, stays there, can be rewatched. Um, at you know at anybody's and, leisure time, so I think there is more and, that people are seeing and then can react to as well. And those and those hearings are going to start next week on Tuesday. Uh, State Senator yes. Liz Kruger, we appreciate the time, and we will talk with you more soon as the state budget process unfolds. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Take care.